Once again, thanks for everybody for doing this. We'll, we are on Chronicles of Hank, part trace. You ready for this, Bone? Oh my gosh, wait till you, you're gonna do, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you the stuff in this, it, you're gonna laugh at some of the stuff, just you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot. Okay, so you're, so what year are we starting at here as soon as we get rolling? Uh, he'll talk about why Bora was fired. We'll start oh, right there, 94, okay. and just take okay. it to uh, end of 99. Um, Hank can talk about why he wanted to, you know, retire in 2000. And then, okay. you know, if we want, and then <laughs> that'd be a good stopping point. And if we ever want to do part four, it'd be Hank in the real world of <laughs> the business world, you know, so. Okay, gotcha. All right, well, without further ado, let's get rolling here. I got to read the legals. Well, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Please note, Three Old Goalies podcast may not be suitable for goalkeepers under the age of 17. You see, the Three Old Goalies might be nibbling at the edges of Alzheimer's and are not always filtered. So parents, have earmuffs at the ready because listener discretion is highly advised. Well, hello again, everybody. This is EV, and you've stumbled into another great episode of Three Old Goalies. I'm your host, EV. I'm joined tonight, as always, by my esteemed panel, Greg Deutsch and John Boa. Welcome, boys. Hola. How you doing, EV? And, of course, our guest tonight, the man, the legend, Hank Steinbrecher will join us for, for part three of the Chronicles of Hank. Hank, how are you? Tip top. All right. Well, let me get rid of the legal stuff here, and then we'll get rolling. Three Old Goalies is a net performance adventure. Like us on Facebook at the Net Performance Goalkeeper Education Co. Three Old Goalies is produced by John Boa Media. For more information, go to www.johnboamedia.com. Music for our shows is provided by Floodgate Operators, a bluegrass band out of Crested Butte, Colorado. For more information, go to www.floodgateoperators.com and check them out on YouTube. All right, fellas. Well, this is the next issue of Chronicles of Hank. I'm going to turn it over to uh, Greg Deutsch to sort of shepherd the way here. And... Take it away, Bone. All right. Well, thank you, E.V. Again, Hank, thank you for uh, joining us. The first two episodes have, uh, boy, uh, what words would we use to describe E.V.? I, I hope you will use. I hope you will use this word. <laughs> that that will be in prominent <laughs> prominent Beep. positions throughout the three o'clock. All these podcasts. You notice how I'll I, never, you know, I, I? I will never be able to step foot in Iran again. After <laughs> after the last after the last uh, Chronicles of Hank, you notice how I slipped in shepherding into the intro. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you also slipped in old timers. Thank you very much. Old timers. Old timers. Old timers. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Hank, uh, we we left off in '94 after the World Cup. Obviously, financially incredible. For U.S. Soccer Federation, um, and very successful on the field with you know Bora. However, you end up firing him, um, and explain why. 
Well, I didn't fire him. We just didn't rehire him. Okay. Okay. Uh, difference. Uh, rumor, rumor was there was um, he didn't really want to do administrative duties, whatever that meant. Would you clarify that? Yeah, I. You know, the decision to go with an international coach was predicated on the fact that we had a World Cup host, and we didn't have a team. We didn't have a pro team. We had basically a college team. No league. But, but after the, uh, the 94 World Cup, the dynamic of U.S. soccer had shifted. And we were looking to get a professional league, the MLS, which was originally started to start in 95. And we pushed it back a year to 96. But that, that, that dynamic had changed. And there was an imperative to see if there was an American coach who could vertically integrate the coaching methodology from the national teams down to the U-17 team. Uh, and a large part of that is understanding the culture of a country. So there was a, a, a large feeling, uh, a prominent feeling of turning back to an American coach. Gotcha, all right. So 95 is a pretty big year for the Federation. Uh, well, pretty well, tough first, year. Pretty tough year. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I spoke with a good friend of mine, Horst Schmidt, who was the head of the German Federation. And uh, this was in 1990 when I came on board. And he said, uh, listen, I hope you have a successful World Cup, but I hope you stay alive the year after. Huh. Wow. Because all the knives will come out. And they sure did, Hank. Uh, so let's first talk about Copa America, Hank. Obviously, oh. you know, a lot of people a lot of people forget, uh, you know, the journey there. Um, so I'll just remind people: this was taking place in Uruguay, and um, Steve Sampson at the time was the interim coach. So, Hank, why don't you sort of start with however whatever stories you want? I'll interject some stuff uh, just to keep keep it flowing. Okay, babe, I'll catch you in a little while. Um, Bye, Ruth. She's leaving to get some pizza. Bye, Ruth. <laughs> uh, yeah, 95. Steve Sampson is our interim coach. Uh, and uh, the players now are really feeling their oats because they've gone to the second round of the World Cup and – and they, they had a feeling, whether right or wrong, that all of this was done on their backs and their playing ability. Uh, they went to, uh, uh, to Paysandu, to Uruguay. And uh, I received a phone call that uh, the players were demanding an additional sum of money. Uh, and, of course, you can imagine my consternation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Was that the word? You, was that the word you used? No. But basically, <laughs> basically, I told uh, our team administrator Tom King, who, by the way, is probably the best in the world at doing what he does. Uh, we told our administrator, "Send them home. Send them home. We're going to get a bunch of other guys to go down and play." Uh, the problem was we had a game the next day, <laughs> so so. Uh, uh, we had to compromise, uh, and I 
I took the executive decision to give him X numbers of dollars in addition, uh, much to the chagrin of my boss, Alan Rothenberg. Uh, it was w one time that we really uh, butted heads on an issue. Well, you really so had we, no choice. You were able to solve it and come right. back. And we played unbelievably well. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, Hank. Unbelievably um, well. Yeah, yeah. You beat uh, Argentina four to one. Well, hold it, Hank. You're getting ahead. You're getting ahead for everyone here. So let's talk. You know, the first game is against Chile, the second game is against Bolivia, the third game is Argentina. Uh, and like you said, the team has two day has two practices, and the second one's the second morning uh before the game so they come out and are you just shocked on how they play they end up winning two to one uh yeah chili uh, uh of course i had some personal stake in that as my my brother in arms neil hanky is a chileno uh so i have some uh, personal pride in, in that game uh but yeah our performance was incredible you have to understand though in that time frame Steve Sampson wants the job as, as being head coach. Eliminate the interim. Mm. And he asked me, what do I need to do to get to, to keep this job? And I knew what our schedule was over the next eight games. And I said, win six games. Sure enough, he did. And he, he had a great tournament down in, in Uruguay. Uh, plus, the players were all clamoring to hire him. He understands us. We like him. And how quickly that worm turns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah, yeah. We're really ahead of ourselves here. Right. Right. Yeah. But that, yeah. But yeah, that was the thing, though. The, they, they could kind of, this is an overreaction, of course, but they could kind of tell him what to do, couldn't they? Uh, I, you know, I've been to, a, a lot of his practices and I didn't see that. Uh, I think the power structure with the coach over the team was not as deep as I would have liked to have seen it. Uh, but uh, in the senior administration of the Federation, there were voices that kept saying, well, Steve is our coach today, but he might not be tomorrow which erodes the coach's credibility and his authority. So I thought that from certain segments, he was being, he was undermined in his authority. But uh, I will quickly add that in my opinion, Steve Sampson has more integrity than 90% of the people I've known. And I, and I know why, not many people do. All right, so I want to remind some people here, Hank, I like this, that. Little, this little known fact here. By beating Chile, it was the first time the U.S. had beat a South American opposition on South American soil. So, yes. you know, very, very impressive. Uh, a game you think we might beat with is uh, Bolivia. We lose 1-0 on just a fantastic goal by uh, Marco Echeverri. If you've never seen that goal, please take a look at it. It's incredible. So now we're up against Argentina, the third game. We have to win 3-0. They want to, quote, unquote, take some players off the field, not start them, three or four starters. What, what, Hank, how did you feel knowing that as a competitor that they were doing that? 
<laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> it's good. It's good intelligence. You need good intelligence to win wars. And uh, was ill-advised on their part to do that. Pretty well, arrogant. As a as a coach, I never ever like to do that. You go out with everything you got to win every game. Obviously, it backfired. <laughs> Obviously, it backfired. <laughs> I mean, three zero. They they got their butt kicked that game. I mean, uh, even though. They brought on some of their, you know, first uh, stringers in the second half. We defended pretty well that game. And and what – just everything lined up, right, Hank? I mean, we had to win 3-0. We got to win 3-0, and, and we advanced. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I also want to add, Bones, that you talked about first time we beat in the South American team. During that period of time, we beat Brazil. Yep. We beat Argentina. We beat Colombia. We beat Germany. We beat, we beat England. Uh, so we were taking on all the big boys of the world and in right. some serious competitions. Right, right. Casey Keller against uh, uh, Brazil in the U.S. Cup was, I've never seen a performance like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely, Hank. What, what a performance here, absolutely. Maybe correct. Tim Howard against Belgium. I was just going to say, wait, is it, uh, <laughs> that went into Timmy's game. Yeah, those are the best, yeah. 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 And Argentina just, I don't know if it's that tournament or the one after, but Argentina waxed Chile. So they yeah. were, and, and it was a huge, huge result for the U.S. I mean, everyone was real bullish. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, yeah, we were riding, we were riding high. Nobody yeah. knew the backstory about the, the uh, labor management negotiations uh and you don't want them to you know you just uh right that doesn't need to be out in the press but the right, guy right. won steve won uh my my opinion was he deserved a shot at being the head coach yeah all right so so we advanced against mexico who we just you know beat the crap out of the month ago before this 4-0 as you alluded to hank in the u.s cup so we are really flying high. We go into uh, over, you know, penalty kicks. Friedel's amazing. Stops two of them. We convert. We move on. Um, were you were you stunned that you know the game even went into overtime? You know, into penalties, or did you just expect it because it's that typical Mexico? Yeah, US listen, play Mexico, game. play Mexico. Throw out all logic. Right. <laughs> throw out all logic, all predictions. No. Yeah, and it's on a neutral site. You know, I was happy, I was happy with the result, but I'm not. You know, it. Uh, they're a great. They're a great team, and the yeah. rivalry, the rivalry is unreal. Yeah. I have been. I was in Mexico City, at Estadio Azteca, when we tied one-one. Uh, and and Agus was thrown out of the match. And we had maybe four Americans with flags, 120 <laughs> Mexicans throwing 120,000 Americans. 120,000, that's right. Throwing beer, so <laughs> beer, beer, and some other stuff, right, Hank? Beer and some other stuff. <laughs> All right. So the next game, we lose to Brazil 1-0, but 
it's really not one of our, you know, it's more of a boring game, I, I think, unfortunately, looking back at, at that. Um, were, were you surprised that they didn't score more? Or, you know, just because we were defensive-minded, we just – Yeah, I thought, I thought our defense could, you know, could block it up pretty well. Yeah. Uh, especially with the performance of the two goalkeepers. You know, so I thought, you know, yeah, we probably – yeah, I, I didn't think we'd get a result, right? Uh, but but I thought we'd play well. Yeah, and, and, then, and listen it, to me, that was always what it was about. It it, it was make a team that our country can be proud of, and you do that not by necessarily winning, because you can pad your schedule. You can play Malta, right? <laughs> which which we did, by the way. Which yeah. we did. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you can pad your schedule. Uh, and uh, I always thought it was about playing well, giving a, an honest performance. Yeah. Hey, do we have to, do, were we invited to that at that time? Yeah. We, yes. we were, it was like, it wasn't because it was us in Mexico, top two. In, no, it was an invitational. It was, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, so third place game, we play Columbia. Obviously, we're spent, Hank. He makes, you know, some changes, lets some other young kids get in. We get spanked four to one sort of a game for Columbia to get back at us. As you said, you know, we had beaten them in this run up, up until this time and not only once, but twice. So obviously not a bad performance. Um, what were your feelings of, about it based on all the things that went on? Shit happens. <laughs> Forrest Gump. <laughs> you know there are so many dynamics that go on in a football match a soccer match uh and i mean we, we were going against a wounded tiger you know they want they wanted us they did they did yeah You're right yeah that sums it up shit happens yep all right, so let's flip, you know, to the, the Women's World Cup going on in 1995 in Sweden, hey, um, won by Norway. Um, give us some of your thoughts. Um, you know, obviously the draw leading up to that or uh, that happens is that, you know, we're going to play China, we're going to play uh, Denmark, um, and we're going to play Australia. So, you know, jokingly, were there any labor disputes on the women's side at that point? Hello. <laughs> yes, of course they were. <laughs> of course. That's were. right. Of course they were. So take us down that path, Hank, in 95. Again, the Women's World Cup coming up. Um, obviously a very good team. Um, I drew a really hard bead on on negotiations with them uh, revolving around uh, bonus monies. I did that started there. And then again, in the 96 Olympics, uh, I thought we were by far the best team in the world. And I believed when I was wor a worker that you only got a bonus if you did a great job, did a superior job. So I heavied up 
on the gold medal bonus, but refused to give bonuses for bronze and silver. And uh, that was a real point of contention between the women's team and myself. I thought you only reward them for superior performance and anything less than a gold medal for them was not superior. So uh, of, of course, when I came out in the press, along with a statement that I made that my belief was that they were more concerned with how green their shoes were than how red, white, and blue their uniforms were. Uh, I definitely threw gasoline on the fire and was uh, mistaken to do that. What do you remember? By the way, we did finish third. That is correct. Do you remember what the prize money? What do you remember what the prize money was for the women's? No, I, yeah, I can't recall that. <laughs> Minuscule. It couldn't have been a lot. Yeah. Right. No. Well, in ninety, uh, no, it goes to ninety-nine. I sat with Sepp Blatter in nineteen ninety-nine. I was on the International Women's Committee. And I put a proposal on the table that FIFA should subsidize women's programs around the world as they do at the men's program and give prize money for winners. And Sepp got really pissed. And he said, you guys have made so much damn money, you should pay. So Meaning the US has made money because of the women? Uh, you, it gives you an idea where Sepp's head was. You know. He had some interesting ideas about women's soccer from a different perspective, as I recall. He wanted hot pants. That, thank you. Yes, he, yes, he did. Yeah. So that proposal went nowhere. JB, I, I want to share some little, again, factoids here. How about in, uh, first of all, the first game against China, we're up 3-1. We end up tying them 3-3. Second game, against uh, Denmark, we win 2-0, uh, but DeChico uses all three subs, and Brianna Scurry is sent off in the 88th minute. Um, and do you know, Hank, do you remember the little trivia here, who goes in goal? Mary Harvey? <laughs> Me, I am. It wasn't a goal. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I would use all three. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Mia Ham ends up in goal and has, uh, comes up with two saves. Yeah, that's uh, right. How about that, in case you need some trivia there. Uh, and EV, uh, some more trivia. Uh, third game, we beat Australia, and our friend Carla Overback scores. From Duke, one of uh, Robbie Church's girls. You know Carla Assistant Robo. coaches, yes. We, we end up beating Japan, uh, and then, um, as, as Hank says, we lose to Norway 1-0, and third place, we, uh, uh, you know, we beat China. So what a, a, a very interesting year, Hank, you know, with everything going on. 96, um, a lot of soccer things going on. Obviously, um, Summer Olympics, um, some good, some bad. And then, as you alluded to at the start of the show, um, first year of MLS. So we'll, we'll start, Hank, with the Summer Olympics. Um, what were your thoughts um, going into this and maybe the expectations of the team? Well, uh, I have a, a lot of memories of it. Uh, one is that that's the tournament that we hired Bruce Arena to be a, a national 
coach. He was our Olympic coach. Uh, opening game in Birmingham. We played Argentina and we gave him hell. We gave him hell. Uh, of course, winning a gold medal uh, with our women uh, was an incredible feat. Uh, and having a full stadium. I mean, if you juxtapose the Women's World Cup in Sweden compared to the Olympics and then the World Cup in America for women, there's no comparison. The, the Swedish World Cup were played in high school stadiums. Yeah. Right, right, right. With about 500 people there. Yeah. And here you got 94,000 for the final in 99 and 86,000 in Athens. I was going to say, wasn't it at the University of Georgia? Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. And, and, or, yeah I mean, it was, and these crowds, Hank, right. were incredible, as you're talking about. I mean, 83,000 in Birmingham, Alabama against Argentina, uh, 45,000 for the game where we beat Tunisia 2 nothing, and then. Uh, 58,000 in RFK when we tie Portugal, but don't advance. Um, you know, my, my question um, is... Boy, what great marketing. <laughs> <laughs> were you surprised at the uh, turnout of the crowds? Well, before I, after I made that comment, I want to say, listen, we've, we're recalling a lot. Uh, and I, I am damn dead serious when I tell you after tremendous amounts of, of introspection that I take credit for none of that success, but I was in the middle of all of that success. <laughs> it's a lifetime in three years. It was, it's been a great lifetime. Crazy. Uh, I mean, I mean, who knew Athens, Georgia, Hank would just be in, in you know, packed, right? No, who knew Athens, Georgia would have taken out the hedges around the football field? Dude, that was the big deal. Vince that Gould. was a huge deal. Right? Yeah. But We're not playing there if you don't take the hedges out. <laughs> That's right. That's field right. Doesn't, the field doesn't meet the dimensions. You know, and, and Hank, I, I wonder from an expense standpoint, I don't know if you know, there were no games out west. There were no games in the southwest. It was... Athens, Orlando, Miami, Washington, and, uh, you know, in that area. Was that because they didn't really, you know, wanna they wanted, they wanted to be a Southern, a Southern Olympics. And they got it. And well, it, it Atlanta was, was the host city, right? Pardon me? Atlanta was the host city in 96, right? Atlanta was the host city. So yeah. It wasn't like a bomber in the, yeah. Yeah. That was the one with the, 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 the terrible thing down in the Freedom Plaza, right? Wasn't there a, that's right. There was a bombing. Yeah, the, and they falsely accused the guy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Made a movie of it. Yeah. yeah. So, so Hank, what do you know? What about the '96, you know, Olympic team for the women's? Obviously, this is you know the first time uh, it's going to be an Olympic sport for the women's soccer. We've got a very good team on paper. Um, again, some incredible players that we had on that team what were your thoughts going in? Like, you know, this, we should win this automatically based on the statements you had shared earlier about the bonus money. Yes. <laughs> Plain and simple. And, and we sure do. We beat China uh, in front of 76,000 people. Listen, if, if you, if you have the bulls during their heyday, you yeah. expect them to go out and win a national championship. And we had, we had 
the equivalent of the Bulls in their heyday with our women's team during those days. Yeah, my daughter is, was born in 1995, and I think she can name more than half that team. They're an incredible team. She was an infant. Yeah, an incredible, <laughs> an incredible group of uh, people. Sure. Plain and simple. Yeah. But and there's and another interesting story on the Olympics in, uh, in Athens, in uh, Atlanta. And uh, I was asked by FIFA to be the match commissioner for the final. Uh, excuse me, for the semifinal. And that was between Argentina and Nigeria. And all the teams had to bus in from Atlanta day of game. And there was a big traffic jam. And the Nigerian players were stuck in traffic. And they proceeded to go up and smack the bus driver around. <laughs> So the bus driver got off the bus and walked out. And now you've got a game ready for national television. It was quite something. We were, we were able to, uh, to solve the problem, had the head of the Nigerian delegation talk to the uh, bus driver and were able to kiss and make up. It was a little, it was a little tight for a while. Does, Hank, on, on that team, does uh, any special player come to mind when you think of that team? The 96 team? Yeah, yeah. Um, Mia, of course, is brilliant. Um, Christine Lilly is the backbone of any team. She's just like a machine. Uh, you know, and I, it, I think it's wrong to pick out one or two because they were all really, really exceptional players. Really exceptional players. But the level then to the level now with our national team is quite different. Then, in, in, even in 99, the women's team had a difficult time getting the ball cross pitch on one pass. Now you're seeing players ding the ball anywhere on the pitch. The speed is quicker. The, the, physical, the physicality is stronger. Uh, so there, there's, a, they're, they're all great players. And at the time they were without a doubt the best in the world. But it was very ticky tacky. You're right. <laughs> very, very, well, ticky tacky, but Anson also instilled a, uh, a mentality of real physicality as well. Yeah. I mean, if you look at his North Carolina team's play, you know, they, the pace is always very, very high. Yeah. I, I, I do think, Hank, you know, one player that I think on that team uh, was sort of like the USA, when you think of it, heart, soul, Michelle Akers. Oh. You know, without a doubt, right? Yeah. I, no, you know. She's the queen. There She's the queen bee. Yeah. Uh, before the, the final in the uh, 99 World Cup, I had a coffee with her or dinner, I can't remember what, the day before in the hotel. And I told her, Michelle, this team will only go as far as you can carry us. And I've been in the locker room when she had two IVs going in her yeah. arms. Yeah. 
Okay. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was bad. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's not forget, Hank. You know, in that same year again, MLS, um, they get off the ground. Um, finals in Foxborough in um, front of thirty-five thousand people. Um, interesting highlight. It goes into OT, and Eddie Pope, you know, scores a winning goal. A um, in an yeah. incredible rainstorm. It, exactly. I was going to just say that. Like it, a damn I, hurricane. So, Hank, what were your thoughts? Did you feel that MLS had enough what we'll call solid financial um, um, uh, just that it, that it was solid, that it would be able to endure, you know, five years at the point you were based there knowing what you knew back then? No, uh, I didn't wow. think I didn't think it would last long, and that is evidenced by the loss of two teams in Florida. Yeah. Okay, that needs a great deal of nurturing. We are great in America at hosting big events. Absolutely. Nobody in the world is as good as we are at that. But running a league, day in, day out, year in, year out. It's a whole nother management dynamic. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I thought, and I think everybody in MLS thought that it would be a struggle. Even though the first game in San Jose was brilliant, Eric Winalda scores a goal. It was a great day. We were all going like this because it was ESPN. We're going <laughs> like this with our nails uh, because it's 0-0 for the longest time. And every all the fans are saying, oh, this this." This sucks. <laughs> and to see what to see what it is today. I mean, Don Garber's just done pff, unbelievable job. Yeah, Atlanta. What a story there. I mean, they can't you can't get a ticket sometimes. Yeah, well, and I think Nashville will be very, very similar. Yeah. Uh, of course, Miami, they'll have to give them away. <laughs> <laughs> And Hank, do you, and why why is that, Hank? You just don't think no matter who runs it, they'll be successful. Too many things to do. What what's your why why is even, that? Even during my tenure, Bones, I I wrestled with the enigma that Miami is because it is one of the largest Hispanic cities in America, but they don't come out to watch soccer games. So you have to analyze. The Hispanic community and say, okay, what does the Hispanic community mean? There are certain so many segments of the Hispanic community in Miami. Cubans, which is largest, don't like soccer. They like baseball. Okay, so that's out. If you turn your marketing message toward the Colombians, all the Mexicans are pissed. If you turn it to the Mexicans, all the Brazilians are pissed. So it is a very, very segmented market that not many people have found success in unless you're running a big international event. You know, Hank, I, I, and I'll bring Tommy Mulroy into this. Obviously, he lives there. He's in the, on the ground, as you say. What When you talk to him about this uh, challenge, what are his, what are his thoughts? Well, I talked to him just last week, as a matter of fact. Uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, 
I think I once told you that the key to success in managing sport is that the team off the field has to be as good as the team on the field. Actually, it has to be better than the team on the field. And I believe that Tommy would say that there have been so many fits and starts uh, and mistakes in the management off the field uh, that it'd be hard to translate a really good team on the field. Oh, okay. They're, uh, yeah, they're pretty gun shy down there. They've had a lot of, I mean, I played there. That's, I mean, there's, there's never been a success in, in soccer in that, I mean. And believe me, I tried. Yeah. And um, I mean, Thomas Rungan's down there, soccer Tom's down there. Yeah. But, but that Hank hit the nail on the head, you know, we have these, you know, these high level marketing guys are like, oh, we Hispanics. Well, when I was playing the Orange Bowl, you had the Cuban guys sitting in one corner, the Colombian guys sitting in the other corner, the Brazilian guys sitting down here. And I mean, Paraguayan guys over here, they didn't talk. <laughs> and they would boo the guys on the team that were, you know, not from Paraguay or Uruguay or whatever. So he's, he's, he's absolutely right. But, but why up in like Lauderdale at Lockhart, it seems like it's different. No, it's not. It's not. Okay. All no. right. Okay. All right. That's suburban. That's like kids coming down from Boca and like West Miami to go to Fort Lauderdale and watch old pros play. Like, you know. All right. Fair enough. So, All right, so we, we go into 97. Wait, wait, funny story about Miami. All right. Okay, we were playing a, a, a preliminary, well, we were playing an exhibition game, Germany against Argentina in the, in the Orange Bowl. And it was to seed the marketplace for World Cup coming up. And halftime entertainment, we had the Gypsy Queens. Or the Gypsy Kings or Gypsy Kings. There's a king. Gypsy Kings. Yeah, Michelle tours with those guys. That's awesome. So we had the Gypsy Kings as the halftime entertainment. Yeah. And the the sound system at the Orange Bowl went out just before they went on stage. And uh, so their manager walked up to our day of game manager, who I will not name. Uh, <laughs> And started yelling and screaming at him. And our guy punched him out. <laughs> Boom. On his ass, out cold. Our guy gets arrested because the cops saw it. <laughs> and the settlement was the Gypsy Kings got tickets to the World Cup final. And they were the entertainment at the World Cup final party the night after the closing. Wow. That was a settlement. Wow. Wish I'd have known that too. And much. their manager and I, by the way, became good buddies. What <laughs> <laughs> a happy ending! Happy ending! Happy ending! These are the things you don't expect to hear, that you don't expect to happen, and then how do you handle that situation? Yeah. Or or, or here, right, Evie, on these on these on this podcast, right? Okay. That's where you hear it. Hear here right. three old goalies first. That's right. All right. So Hank, 1997 men's qualifying. Um, U.S. Cup uh, does not start off good. Uh, we lose 1-0 uh, to Peru, Mexico 2-0, and Denmark crushes us 4-1. Um, we play two friendlies against China, um, lose 2-1 and tie 1-1, and now the qualifying starts. What are your thoughts going in, you know, based on these results? Uh, 
we knew it would be a struggle. Uh, we didn't have to qualify for the last World Cup. All right. We hosted it. And now you got to qualify. And uh, no matter what anybody says, qualifying in CONCACAF is a very difficult road. It's like the Bataan death march. I mean, it is, it is a brutal, look at Jurgen. Jurgen was saying, oh, we should, we should beat these CONCACAF nations, no problems. Go on down to Tegucigalpa. Let me know how you feel. Now, so, give, us some, give us some insight to that, Hank. I yeah. mean, you, you talk about it, but what, you know, what makes it so uncomfortable for the American player? Um, other than being guarded 24 hours a day with machine guns, uh, people hurling insults at you all the time, throwing shit at your bus, walking on the stadium and getting urine thrown on your head, uh, having all sorts of screw-ups with uh, the hotels and the airlines and, well, not the airlines, but the tra local transportation. Uh, it, it's an it, waking, having radios blaring at your room all night long. Uh, these things happen. And li listen, you, you're playing at that level. Focus is everything. Focus is everything. And as an administrator, you're trying to keep your team focused as possible and eliminating as many distractions. Hmm? And when you go to CONCACAF, there are a lot of distractions. So, of so yeah, so share with us, Hank, you know, the hotel disruptions. You know, you call the police, you call someone, you know, you, you call your, you know, their other federation, you know, this is, this is bullshit. What happens in reality? Nothing or? Nothing. Nothing. Home field advantage, dude. Home yeah, they may get, they may get fined. Uh, Costa Rica got fined. I put in a protest to, uh, to FIFA uh, after playing in Saprissa Stadium, the Valley of the Monster. And uh, lucky for us at that time, Jim Fleming, who was the president of the Canadian Federation, was the match commissioner. And somebody poured beer all over him. And he turned around and decked the fan. So now FIFA is involved. And they find him like $25,000. But you don't think that happens the very next time you're there? Uh, or, or worse. Yeah, or worse. But I mean, you know, Crimea River. I mean, EV and I were in a game in Denver where there was a 28,000 feet of snow. And we made, who was it, who was it EV? Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Yeah. We made them play. Like, yeah. up yours, man. Here's for 15 years ago. 15 years. <laughs> yeah. You know what my thought was? I watched that, and I said, payback is sweet. Yep. Or like you said, Hank, it's like, if you screw us on this, you're going to be playing in Anchorage. You're going to go? No. <laughs> Fuck, no. Excuse me. Fairbanks. 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 Fairbanks is much colder. Valentine's <laughs> Day qualifier in Fairbanks, Alaska. And there's nothing pretty about that town. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Hank, we uh, we start in Jamaica, gain a you know uh, no no tie, um, beat Canada um, in Stanford, California. But a week later, we lose to Costa Rica three two. So big game against Mexico uh, in Foxborough, which we tie. 
So a lot of confidence. The end of June, we tie uh, El Salvador 1-1. September 7th, and Hank, uh, I remember this. Um, this is one of my Hank stories, EV uh, and JB as well. Uh, Portland, Oregon, September 7th, um, we beat Costa Rica 1-0 on a Tab Ramos shot from the upper, uh, from the top of the 18. The place then, um, if you remember, is at the Civic Stadium. It holds about 27,000 people. The, it went absolutely nuts. Uh, Hank, what, what do you remember about that, that day? Uh, I remember that game really, 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 really well. Uh, well, I've still got that damn sun in my eyes. Maybe over here. Is that any better? Yeah, you're good. Yes. So I remember a bunch about that game, Bones. Um, Tab's goal was uh, incredibly important. It meant we qualified. But leading up to that game, it poured rain. And if you remember, Civic Stadium was old AstroTurf. Ooh. So we had to lay down at the cost of $250,000, lay down sod which was slippery and not taking. And uh, Tab's goal, top of the 18, brilliant frigging goal. We qualified and there was like pandemonium amongst the crowd, amongst the players. It was a, a very, 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 very festive environment. But it was also my first experience at field turf, or with field turf. <laughs> So we needed a place to train. And Tom Clark, who was the president of Nike at the time, said, well, there's, there's this new uh, product uh, out at Olympic Park. Uh, it's a new kind of synthetic turf. You may want to try it. There's no way in God's green earth that the national team of the United States of America is going to play on artificial turf or astroturf. No friggin' way. Quote, unquote, it's not your father's Buick. <laughs> <clears throat> so went out there, a couple of guys, Steve, had a kick about. And I thought, man, this stuff is, this stuff is really interesting. This is really new. Uh, and uh, team trained out, I think they trained out at once. But I was very impressed with it to the point where I came back to Chicago and I looked the company up, they're out of Montreal. The guy by the name of John Gilman was their president and CEO. So I wrote him, I said, dear Mr. Gilman, I represent the United States national team, I'm general secretary. And uh, I just wanted to let you know that I think your, your product may be the most significant technological advancement in the game of soccer in decades. That was it. Two days after I left the Federation, I get a call from Gilman. I want you and your wife to fly up to Montreal. I want you to be our CEO. Nah, I do not want to work for anybody again. Uh, be a consultant. So I went back and I said, okay, we'll, we'll do a deal. I went back, I did some study on how many fields I thought could be sold around the world. I went federation by federation by federation. And the lead into my presentation was within five years, field turf could be a billion dollar business. 
and I was damn close, damn close. And then the competition came in and made it a lot harder. But that was that was another experience out of that. Uh, That's right. That game in Portland. That's right. Well, Hank, I'm gonna I'm gonna share a story with you that uh, you know we've been talking in part one and part two. Evie and I bring up uh, any any moments where you've uh, been helped us uh, get a ticket or two. Okay, <laughs> and so um, the you know I rank Evie, rank has its privilege. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And even you remember when, uh, you know, Adidas and Nike would invite dealers out to, you know, Portland and things like that. So they happened to invite me out that, that weekend. Uh, Hank's going to be out there. And I'm like, Hey, Hank, you know, we got to, you know, try to hook up. He goes, okay, Hey, let's try to hook up after the game. Well, little did I know what was about to happen. So after the game, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs uh, from where I'm sitting, you know, Hank, 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 Hey, Hey, he looks up. I'll go get me security. <laughs> so he gets me security. I go in the locker room, champagne, meet everybody. I meet Steve Sampson for about like 30 seconds. Um, you know, I'm in heaven, right? What else could happen? Well, so I got to be, I'm already late for, if you remember, North Car or, uh, Portland and Notre Dame women's game I have to be at, right? Well, I'm obviously late, but the uh, one of the field equipment guys, uh, from um, the stadium takes me over. Um, I go to that game. I'm walking out to go to a restaurant. Who do I run into? Thomas Dooley. I literally walk into him, bounce off of him. He had just gotten signed by the Columbus crew. You know, I say, you know, welcome to Ohio. Can't wait to see you. You know, I'm thinking, what else can happen, right? The next morning. Okay. And this, uh, and Boa, you're gonna love this. You're gonna love this because it only happens in the United States. I'm walking at 6 a.m. in the airport, and I see this guy, and I'm like, I think I know this guy. And who is it? Steve Sampson. And I'm like, Hey, coach, how you doing? And he looks at me like, Yeah, we met for about 30 seconds last night. You know, uh, Hank introduced me to you. He goes, Oh yeah, that's right. Talk a little bit about the game. Both go our ways. No reporters, no paparazzi, nothing. Just only in America, as uh, John Boa would say. So anyway, Hank. Funny story. So you mentioned Bones, a player there who, who is one of my favorite people of all time. Never mind player, Thomas Dooley. So why is that? Uh, cool, man. Uh, uh, he was a, an absolute seasoned pro and a gentleman. Yeah. Uh, and he led the team well, or as well as he could given certain circumstances. Uh, we also, interesting story, we were also able to get him his citizenship within like three days. And you know right. how, difficult, how difficult that process that is. Yeah, right. <clears throat> which we're, which we're, we're going to come into, we're going to tell that story, Hank, to a greater level a little bit later. But, but there's a judge, start. there's a judge in Chicago, not any longer, he's passed away. Abraham Lincoln Markovitz. And he swore in Thomas Dooley as a citizen. Wow. Thomas, by the way, asked me to do the induction for him at the Hall of Fame. Oh, nice. Oh, Which nice. is very nice. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. All right, so uh, we, we qualified for that. We, we, uh, we tied Jamaica in front of 51,000 in RFK. We go down to uh, Azteca in front of 115 and tie them 0-0. We beat Canada 3-0. 
and then in Foxborough, we win 4-2. So what's your feeling, you know, with the Federation at this time? Like, hey, you know, we're clicking. What, what's going on? You know, is, is – well, are, are, are you feeling Samson's the right guy? Well, uh, you, you could tell there was some hesitation in retro, in retrospect. <laughs> uh, sure was. But, uh, you know, I'll be accused of a lot of things, and probably one of them is that I try to be pretty loyal to the people that bring you to the dance. And uh, I, I would still support Steve, uh, and I would do it today. I'd probably make the same decision. I'll be heavily criticized for that. I understand what the the national soccer sentiment is, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd continue with him. I think he was a man of integrity. But I was upset with Jamaica game. There's no way in hell we should have tied that game. I was kind of fit to be tied. Do you think it was just a mental letdown because we qualified? Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, so we're heading to World Cup in 1998 in France. A lot of stuff going on, huh, uh, Hank? Um, hopefully you'll, you know, give us some thoughts here on, um, again, some controversy. So, uh, well, I think well, before, you know, before, they, before they qualified, if I didn't, did you not, didn't you have to do a CBA, Hank, or right around uh, the France, right around the France World Cup before the World Cup mm -hmm. with the players? Oh. And that got, that got a little rancorous. And the only reason I know that, the only reason I know that is uh, I'm, I'm working in Eurosport and Mrs. Moylan buzzes and says, Hank's on the phone. I'm like, hey, great. Hank's giving me a call. So I pick up the phone and I go, Hank, what's hang on up? One second, guys. guys, hang on one second. Okay. This was 98? Nah, I think it was prior to 98, maybe 96, maybe around the Olympics. I don't know. But they, okay. the men's team was negotiating for a new contract, right? And he was pissed. You know, <laughs> he picks up He picks up the phone. Well, you know, I, I pick up the phone. You to come back. I will, I will. But I, I pick up the phone. These motherfuckers think they invented the goddamn game. I'm like, hey, Hank, what's going on? When he was talking before, we'll edit this out, but it, it, when he was talking before about the Copa America, was is that the same tournament that Jurgen was talking about? No. Um, no, I couldn't know. Cause Not, well, a different time frame. Different yeah. Time. Yeah. Same, same turn. I mean, same event, but a different, different time frame. Because the players basically flew down. What your story, Jurgen was saying, they flew down and went on strike because kind of got planned it. They said, "You got to pay us because we're here." Yeah, but so that was wasn't wasn't what well, wasn't Steve Sampson in charge of that group that did that bone? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the interim coach at that time. Yeah, and, and basically, basically on the plane, true story. On the plane, they go in the back of the plane, have a team meeting, and they get off and say, "We're not training." Yeah, <laughs> you know we're. We're striking, and and that's how Samson finds out. True story. But that wasn't ninety six. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I no, ninety five. Ninety five. Ninety five. The Copa. That's because. Be, no, yeah, because um, it's just remarkable that they did so well under those circumstances. That's what everyone forgets. That's what makes it 
such a great um, um, story. Sorry, guys. No, you're good. All right. Well, I, have, I had a guy doing some work on the outside of the house. Oh. Oh. All right. He, he didn't fall off the roof or anything. Oh, yeah, so Hank calls you EV. No, but he was building out here. You have these, your mailboxes are in, in my neighborhood in cinder block. Right. Out of the driveway. And uh, ours fell down. <laughs> so we had to construct a new one. But the weight of it made it sink on one side. <laughs> so I've got the, the leaning tower of mailboxes out there. Okay. So he's got to pull it down and start from scratch. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, anyway, get back to the story. Um, and it may, this may have been around 95 when the, when the players revolted, but I, you know, Mrs. Moylan says, Hey, uh, Evie Hank's on the phone. I'd like run over to the time. Hey, Hank, what's going on? These motherfuckers think they invented the game. I'm so sick of these bastards. And like, you know, holding the phone off to you. I was like, well, how you doing Hank? And, uh, <laughs> and I don't know if that was, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but you were in the midst of negotiating. And I think this was the men's team. I don't think this was the women's team that you were angry at at the time, but uh, uh, you were in the midst of negotiating. It, it may have been the time when they, they decided they were going to strike and, you know, you were going through, you know, just, just, it seemed like one, financial fight after another particularly surrounding the players who as you the said great, the great commissioner of basketball david stern who i got to know fairly well eight uh, during my time at gatorade when i left gatorade he sent me a basketball that he inscribed signed and on the basketball he said you'll know your success when everyone hates you <laughs> Sign that on the ball. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. All right. So, Hank, let's dive right into it. You know, Harks is named, you know, the chemistry is already bad. Harks is named captain for life by Steve um, and then dismissed for the uh, <clears throat> Eric Winalda incident. May we um, stop right there, please? And may I ask anyone here what captain for life means? What, what was the thinking? Does anyone know? Well, the answer that I got was you keep your enemies closer than your friends. And he was trying to get, the, he was trying to keep his Brutus close, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not going to get into the personalities of those players. Uh, it was a very difficult time and the team was split uh, because of it. Uh, I recall in our last game, Yugoslavia in 98 World Cup going into the locker room. And as you know, in Europe, you have uh, your showers, but you also have a communal bath. So walk in the locker room and the shower area with the lockers is square. And Thomas Dooley is on the ground crying. Frankie Haydock is on the ground crying. Uh, Brian McBride is on the ground crying. You go into the other area where the bath is and it's round. And there were players on that team who were not happy that we lost. 
And in my opinion, they were not happy. And I thought, interesting analogy, you cannot put a square peg into a round hole. Oh. And that was a problem. The chemistry was very bad. We were in 90, uh, 98, no, 90, 1990, we were babes. In, 90, in 94, we were kids. In 99, we were adolescent. We had all, we could play really well. We could be either really good or we could be really bad, both on and off. Even saying that, my final analysis was that our poor performance in that tournament was not as much about soccer as it was about citizenship. Excellent. What it meant to be an American yep. and what it meant to be a team and, and what, what it meant to be cohesive and, and come together e pluribus unum. Out of all of those guys, we had to be one. And we were fragmented, similar to our country today with devastating wow. results. That's uh, very, very poignant on a number of levels because that is, you know, there's a million horrible stories that have come out of that tournament, but that is the most eloquently- mind you, mind you, Steve Sampson never for 14 years, never uttered a word. It was the players yeah. for the press. Now, Steve was crucified. He was crucified in the press. He was crucified in books. The, the, the team were brutal with Steve Sampson. Yet he had the integrity to keep his mouth shut. Yeah, the players blame each other. Me? Him, me? I'll go with that guy any day of the week. Fair Do enough. you agree with his decision um, to kick him off or hearts off or should he have just stripped him of him being the captain no you got to get rid of him you can't given be happy was, given everything that was going on you got to get rid of him all right you mentioned citizenship uh you mentioned thomas dooley obviously we have a guy from france no one knew he played in the bundesliga Roger. Roger, david Roger. um he uh marries an american woman now he can be a player uh, on the U.S. national team, take Jeff Agu's spot. Um, obviously, there's a sort of a funny story, Hank, about him becoming, getting his citizenship in record time, as you say. Um, if, if you remember, um, he was going to be denied it until um, U.S. soccer was going to ask ESPN what they thought of it, and the immigration officer says, go right in. <laughs> and within 24 hours, he's a citizen. So share your thoughts on that whole, that whole story of, did you agree with it looking back? And, you know, what, uh, well, the I agree with it at the time. You got to put your best team that you ha can have on the field. I had some hesitation in that I, he was a good player, but I didn't think he was as good as people may have thought him to be. I didn't rate him as high as other people did. Uh, and the unfortunate part there was Agus lost the spot. Again, right? Yeah, again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that you, you just have to really feel badly about that. 
Yeah. But yeah. that further split the team, huh? Absolutely. That further split the team. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you remember? It was, it was pretty ugly. Yeah. Do you remember how quickly he got to, you know, become a citizenship, that story, Hank? It, it, I don't think it was within 24 hours, but it was, it was certainly within a week. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was funny um, just to, to read about that story on how quickly, uh, you know, it was going to be denied and then <laughs> quickly it was um, changed. So, um, so let's talk about the games a little bit here, Hank. Uh, before that, though, the isolation of the team. Steve makes a decision to uh, – Put them in uh, Chateau de Passe, or however you want to say it there. Chateau um, de Pizarre. Thank you. And obviously it sort of backfires because the players are going stir-crazy. Well, they wouldn't have gone stir-crazy if they liked each other. <laughs> right? Yeah. But now you've got two, two camps, and there's no silver sword that lies between them, as Shakespeare would say. Oh, nice. There's no buffer zone. Okay, so uh, of course they're isolated and they're on each other's backs, uh, and the environment is very bad. And they were hazing those young kids. It was like, yes, it's terrible. I'll say it. Citizenship was horrible. No leaders. <clears throat> and it spun out of control that I, I felt helpless. Alan felt helpless. Sunil felt helpless. Steve, Clive Charles, for Christ's sake. That, that was a, a freight train ready to crash. Some of the that, stories that came out, I mean, did you believe them? Or, you know, you were like, what is going on? I mean, uh, you know, amazing all the <laughs> pages. He's got, you know, Kobe and somebody else talking to the Ducks. I mean, the stories were just... You know, when you well, hear here, about this, them, this know. will indicate to you how bad it got. Uh, right before the Yugoslav game, I walk on the field, and uh, Jim Frostlet, who was our press chief for the World Cup team in 1999, comes up to me and says, Hank, we have a huge problem. Okay, Jim, what's wrong? He says, Well, apparently last night, Steve and a number of the coaching staff and trainers went out to dinner at a French restaurant and they had a little bit too much to drink. And uh, they were talking about the team dynamics. What they didn't know was the table right behind them, chair right behind them, was a French reporter who recorded the whole conversation. And uh, the team has it and they're going to the press. Okay. Jim, uh, this is bullshit. And I'll tell you why it's bullshit. If this was a legitimate French reporter, I would be the first guy he'd call for a comment. And if it was an illegitimate French reporter, I would have been the first guy to call for a bribe. So this is bullshit. And luckily for us, it was bullshit. But that's that's the kind of crap that was going on around that team and put it under the microscope of a world cup the white light of the world cup is something that is really difficult to understand unless you've been there that that press is so hot 
uh, anything you do is under that microscope, anything. But Hank, wouldn't you agree that, I mean, after 94, we kind of shocked the world, frankly. We beat a favorite we're at home. We were, I mean, we were kind of victims of our own success. Didn't everybody want to kick our ass because we were Americans and we were pretty good? It wasn't just the American team. It was also the American referee, Etsy <laughs> Bahamrust. Okay, so Essie pulls the game, a very important game, Norway against Brazil, all right? Final closing of the game, which is tied, he calls a handball against Brazil. Hmm? Norway scores, goes on to win. Nobody saw the foul. Nobody picked it up on camera. Nobody, it, it, he got murdered. I received a call from Bladder saying, not only does your federation stink, but he wouldn't say stink, but it is in bad shape. Uh, not only is your team horrible, but your referees can't ref at this level. What are you guys doing? So he strapped me down pretty hard. And my comment was, if Essie called it, no excuse on, on the team. You are completely correct. But if Essie Bahamras called that, that penalty, it happened. He got murdered in the press. Three days later, a Swedish fan had a camera, took the picture, and showed the, the, the penalty. Clear as day. Clear as day. And now all of a sudden, it's apologies here and there and here and there. But overall, our performance was just diabolical. We just didn't look prepared. Well, we were. We, we had such the first game against Germany. Yeah. You right? know, we I mean, talk about this, and then – you know, what I'm not even referring to is the internal battles and discussions we had amongst our senior staff, you know, yeah. and, and I drew a very hard line. Send this player, that player, this player, and that player home. I want them on the next plane and I want them home. And there were some pretty damn big stars. And Alan was of the opinion, Hank, the more you stir this shit, the more it's going to stink. Hold tight. We'll get out of here with our head between our legs and go on. Don't, don't pour gasoline on this fire. And uh, so he's the president. Uh, I, I would have sent probably four players home. Randy well, Libby in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> just, just left him. Just left him in Miami. Just left him. Just left him. He didn't, he didn't get to the bus on time and he left him. Bingo. Yeah. So, okay, well, got the rest of the players' attention. You're either going to play for this team or you're not going to play yeah. for this team. Yeah. Well, you you guys remember when we interviewed Jurgen Summer, and he was we he wasn't specifically talking about this this situation, but um, although he was in it, he was talking about you know when a coach loses the room, you know you can you you can be as good as you want, but the coach loses the room, you're done. You're done. You know, he also, yeah. to be fair to the to the staff and the federation, because he's a, was a player, right? He also kind of put it up to everybody on Germany was six foot twelve, three hundred eighty-five pounds with four left feet. That's not we, the case. I know that, exactly. That's absolutely not the case. Oh, and he's we German. Gave up, we gave up a really weak goal with Burns on the near post on a and, set piece. Okay, but he said we were all like tiny. Well, that's not necessarily true. That's bullshit. It's interesting. And, he, and guess what? Maradona's tiny. Big time. 
Pele is tiny. Messi is tiny. That doesn't hold water with me. I'm with you, buddy. I thought we gave Germany a pretty good game. I'm with you, buddy. And unfortunately, we can't, we didn't win. Go play Germany World Cup and see how many people win. Good point, Hank. All right, so we're next game's Iran, and a lot of people forget about the Iranian team back then. I mean, they had like four to six guys in the Premier League playing in Bundesliga, so it wasn't just a walkover game. Uh, and uh, again, people forget this. They they lose to Yugoslavia 1-0 on a free kick. Uh, and the only reason they lose is because the backup keeper's in and he screws it up. Otherwise, they probably get a tie in advance. So, you know, and, and that game, Iran was a better team. Would you agree, Hank? <clears throat> we hit the post three times. Uh, Allah was playing in their goal. <laughs> Uh, hard to beat that. Uh, they have a player by the name of Asi who tore us apart. Uh, I thought it was, I actually thought it was a fairly even match. Okay. And that, that either team could have or should have won that game. Yeah. I thought a just result would have been 1 1. Yeah, fair enough. Brian, Brian's, you know, Brian McBride's goal obviously was very nice. Now, there's a class human being. Yeah. You got to get Brian on your show. <laughs> we will. We will. we will. All right. So we lose that game. And, and Ernie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We lose, you know, we play Yugoslavia. Uh, we lose that 1 0. Uh, you know, and, and Hank, I would sort of want to hear if this was a rumor or not. Steve Sampson says, uh, Iran was not going to allow their players back into their country if they lost to the U.S. True not a rumor. or not true? Not a rumor. True. Not a rumor. True. I mean, you you know, their, their head of delegation couldn't take photographs with me. Shaking hands. Or he'd be in trouble with the mullahs. It was, it was quite an experience. Yes, yes. Quite an experience. All right, so we, we slowly move into 1999. A lot of stuff going on with the women's at this time. Um, but before we talk about that, uh, a little, again, unknown thing here. The U-17 um, championship on the uh, men's side, we finish ungodly. We finished third place, Hank. And uh, what – what a ride this these young guys took, and and what 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 stories could you share with us on, on those guys back then? Yeah, I was down in New Zealand with the team, uh, and that team looked look at the guys who went on: Beckerman, Donovan, Beasley. You know, Countess goalkeeper loaded. Hmm. It was loaded, like you're saying. Loaded, loaded. Yeah, and I thought the uh, the the quarterfinal. I don't remember if it was quarterfinal or semifinal. Semifinal. I didn't think we should have lost that match. But that team and listen, for that age group, you know, it takes a certain mentality to coach that age group. And John Ellinger was perfect at that. And why is that? Why was that? He just could communicate with those kids. He could communicate with them. 
he he understood him. He was he was extremely good at coaching at that that age bracket. Uh, and he did a did they did a marvelous job in the Zoom. What, what do you think the secret sauce was with that then? Because you know all the guys they were playing against were playing for their they were pros, and our guys were what at Bradenton or something. They were in Bradenton. Yeah, and uh, yeah. hey, go into that a little bit because this was the first year of Bradenton. I mean, people know IMG now, but back then, only people knew it because of uh, the tennis, you know, Boletaria. <clears throat> well, the idea came uh, on a trip that I made to Australia, where you look at the country of Australia and you say to yourself, "Here's a country of 18 million people." They're champions, world champions in surfing, netball, cricket, rugby, cycling, and they're pretty damn good at soccer. What are they doing? And it looked to me as if it was the East German model of removal of highly talented people and put into an extremely competitive environment without the drugs. <laughs> so coming back, you know, we had this idea and we spoke with Nike about it, that we ought to, and, you know, we're MLS and we're thinking, you know, we've got to identify the top talent in the country at an earlier age, bring them all to one location, give them an education. And that was the real key there because I wasn't too sure the educational level was where it needed to be. I know the soccer level was good. But I don't didn't know that where the educational level was going to be. So we partnered with Nike, who partnered with IMG, to create the Bradenton Academy for us. Yeah, yeah, and it lasted a long time. Yeah, it, it, well, it's still going on. I mean, and come some on. great players. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
so I just wanted to share with people what was happening because a lot of people, you know, just overlooked that because, of course, of the 1999 World Cup. And Hank, we're going to just sort of let you. There's so many stories I'm sure I'm sure you have. Um, without leading up to, you know, Brandy, what do you remember early on about the World Cup? You know, um, what I remember is um, you guys. You know, you personally said you know, these games are only going to sell out because of the double headers. And looking back, that was obviously the right decision. Uh, we were, I personally, and I think the Federation as a whole, uh, were under a lot of pressure, a lot of financial pressure. We made a commitment that we were going to hold those games at America's largest stadiums in film. Okay. And we did a really good job, but this is football and anything can happen. So in the quarterfinals, we draw Germany in Washington, DC, and we're down twice. And Germany is playing a much better game than we are. We got a couple of set pieces. To me, interesting calls, okay, to be honest with you. Sitting next to Horst Schmidt of Germany, we just, Gonna look at each other. <laughs> Interesting horse. <clears throat> we go ahead and win and go out. If we lose, Germany plays China in the Rose Bowl in the final. How many people do you think are gonna be in the stands? Thirty thousand. Five thousand is my opinion. <laughs> you have any idea how much money we would lose? Oh. How pissed would ESPN have been? Oh, everybody. I may have been hung in effigy again. <laughs> yeah. So we were under we were under a lot of pressure. Plus the team is, you know, very demanding team. Uh, negotiations got down to the gr the granul granularity of the negotiations. Came down to how many bananas were on the breakfast table. Uh, it, it was it was a struggle, and then one the night we win, they announce a deal with FX Sport to go on a tour. Uh, FX Sport is a sports marketing agency. Federation totally cut out. So Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob is the president at this time, and I say we have to slap an injunction on them. We have to go to court. You have to slap an injunction. Any more than five players than the national team, according to the contract, is the national team. And they've contracted with more than five players. So slap an injunction on them, shut it down. So you can imagine the difficulties of this. What my vision was with that team, and I believed I had shared it with them, although say, they say I didn't, was I wanted to go on a global tour to spread the word of women's soccer and how good it could be around the world. Start out in Egypt, go to the Far East, go to, go to South America, go to places where it's not a popular sport and, and be ambassadors for the game and for our country. That's what my vision was after this. They saw an opportunity to play 15 indoor games and make a lot of money. 
So we slapped down the injunction and then it was a negotiation as to, okay, if it goes, what's the, what's the Federation split? And is it worth our while? But to me, I, in this, I'm so wrong in this, uh, but I became way too emotional and way too paternalistic. And my only thought at that time was, there's no sharper serpent's tooth than that of an ungrateful child. Out of all the work that went into that, by so many people to turn around and knife us in the back, as I would view it, was a call to war. Sorry. Don't be sorry. That's true. Well, I was uh, over emotional, which you should never be in those kinds of negotiations and very paternalistic. And consequently, um, you know, I'm to a large degree by the women's team, I'm still the enemy. And uh, I accept that. All right. Well, I'll try to get us back on some um, some some humor here. Another Hank moment with me. He got me tickets to the. Uh, oh, you owe me a lot of money. I do, man. I do. But man. Great memories, Hank. Great memories. And Hank, you will definitely laugh at this. So Hank gets me tickets, um, box tickets, I might add. So I'm gonna we're gonna go watch U.S. Nigeria, and again I mentioned the doubleheaders, which at that time was Italy, Brazil, and people really didn't know about Marta back then. So I go up the elevator, security says, "Okay, USA box, go in there." And uh, Evie and uh, JB, you'll like this because to the right of me is the Nike guys, and if we remember, you know, in uh, some other episodes, Hank has mentioned Joey Ellsmore, but we also forgot back in the day, Evie Steve Smith. Yeah. If you remember him, North yep. Carolina boy. Yep. So Tom Kane. Yeah. Tom Kane. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they uh, are looking at me like how literally they say across the glass. I'm reading their lips. How the fuck are did you you know what the fuck are you doing there? And I'm laughing my ass off. And uh, my wife is just like, who are those guys? I'm like, oh, you know, they're Nike guys. She's like, really? So we're sitting there, no one's you know minding our own business. All of a sudden. There's a knock, you know, come on in. And it's Hank's boss, Alan Rothenberg, with Donna DeVarona. And so they sit down. I introduce myself, you know, my wife. And um, they're like, where's Hank? And I, I said, you know, Hank says he's going to, you know, you know, come later. And they went, okay. So I sit next to Donna DeVarona. And we start talking. And Evie, this is so funny, as you may recall this one story. She had a radio show. And she says, you know, yeah. Um, and she's really talking about how good she is on the show. And I said, well, how long is your show? She goes like, oh, 10 minutes. And I pause and I'm like, okay. And she goes, well, you, got, you mentioned you did a radio show. How long is yours? I went, uh, ours is about an hour. And her jaw dropped. And if you remember that, EV was those days when we did soccer. <laughs> so the next, the next knock is um, Seth Blatter and his daughter. They come in. We sit down, he starts talking. He asked me, what goal from 94 do you remember the best? And I go, uh, I'd say Bergman against Argentina. His jaw drops. He can't believe an American says it. Game goes on. We go back to the soccer house. I walk in, Hanks shuts the door. He goes, where the fuck have you been? I've had security looking all over this place. I'm like, I was at US 
U.S. seats, just like you asked me to be. Sat with your boss. Seth came in. He goes, you didn't try to sell them, did you? And so. <laughs> <laughs> my little, my you, little mentioned, story. you mentioned a name there, though. Donna DiVarona, who is one of my heroes. And I'll tell you why. Uh, she wrote Title IX. Wow, all right. She changed culture. Stevens from Alaska put the bill in Congress. She wrote the bill. The Olympic wow. gold medalist in 1960, swimming. Yep, yep. Just a terrific woman. Yeah, very nice, very nice. So anyway, all right, so we're back in 1999. The women have done great. And now you got to hire a, a coach. You decide on a Bruce Arena. Why the flip flop at this point from the, you know, go, you know, back to an American, you know, you're going to stay with another American. Was there a lot of pressure at that time to look for an international coach? Yes. There was a lot of pressure. There was so much pressure that coming as soon as we landed back in the States, I had heard that our board of directors wanted to pick the coach and pick the players. That they were, they were so angry with what was going on uh, over my dead body. And that ain't gonna happen. Uh, we had a four man search committee or four man selection committee. I actually pretty much did the search. It was Alan, Sunil, uh, Tom King, and myself. And I told you before that I didn't think our problem was soccer. I thought our problem was citizenship. I thought we could play with anybody. But I thought our problem in that cup was citizenship. Uh, so we had a number of candidates. Bora to come back. There were two guys that were really pushed for Bora to come back. Now, where at that point, where was he recently coming from? Could you, uh, do you remember that at all? Uh, Costa Rica. Okay. I believe. Yeah, because it was before China. So um, there were two guys who were pushing that Bora come be in. We also had, uh, again, Carlos Alberto Pajera. We had Carlos Queiroz. Uh, was on that list. That's right. And Bruce Arena. And I was very impressed with the job that Bruce did at uh, in the Olympics, in the MLS, uh, at uh, uh, every level of the game. Uh, he had what I refer to as the arena aura. If you were by him, you thought you would win. He has an aura about him. Uh, I wanted him to be the coach. The timing of this was really interesting because our, AG, our AGM was three weeks after we returned from the World Cup. So a new president was going to be elected because Allen had to stand down. He had two four-year terms. So he had to stand down. Bob Contagulia won the election. And Alan wanted to hire the coach instead of allowing Bob to hire the coach. That's right. Okay. 
Uh, I talked to Bob. Bob interviewed uh, Bruce in person. He interviewed Carlos Carosh. And basically, Carlos told him, if you don't come with a check for this amount of money, I'm not interested. Uh, Bora to Bob was going to be a non-starter. Right? So, uh, so ultimately, Bob made the decision that we're going to go with Bruce. And I felt a strong imperative to go with an American coach, if nothing else, to prove that I thought it was about citizen and not about soccer. And I thought by this time, our coaches were significantly improved. Uh, and the, the pool of talent for coaching has improved so much of American coaches in this country uh, that, that I felt confident that that's the direction we should go. It's probably the direction we should go in the future. Now, back then, uh, and I'm sure people on this, <clears throat> my co-host may disagree, uh, Bruce maybe didn't have the arrogance that, uh, or maybe he still did back then. Um, and that was big, the big knock, uh, as you know, you and I've talked, Hank, about that. What other, what other um, things that people were against him besides his arrogance at that time? I've come to the conclusion, after now knowing him pretty well, that his demeanor has an air of arrogance. But in reality, he's a pretty damn humble guy. You know, when you get through that, that aura, he's a pretty humble and thankful guy. Yeah, and, and you and I both know, I mean, you, you shared, which I'll share with everyone, you know, the book that Bruce wrote in a very, as you say, humbling forward to you that um, you were gracious enough to, to share with me. And it was very, very touching and wonderful. You are absolutely correct. Which would absolutely shock most people, as you and I both know. Yeah, my so. first meeting with him, Bo, I mean, I knew him because we were co coaching colleagues. Uh, never played against each other. He's an island boy, Long Island boy, right? So we knew each other going through the system. Uh, and uh, I get a call from him. And he says, I should be your national team coach. <laughs> Big difference from Virginia. Uh, you know, Bruce, interesting you say that. Because one day you may be our national team coach. Well, what did you think you, of that? You've got, you've got to learn the international game first. Yeah, what was your reaction when he called you, though, Hank? I mean, you're like, come on, you know, what the shit? Are you that cocky or oh, what? Oh, listen, I was getting calls from everybody. Ibrahim Ibrahim called me. Oh, Clemson guy. Okay. That would have been interesting. He called me. He ought to be the national team coach. So, yeah. So, what, to me, it wasn't out of the ordinary, but I kind of always felt Bruce is a real deal. Well, obviously, and again, some, some, some factoids here, his first win, um, first win, I don't know if you remember this, Hank, is against Germany. Yeah. Three to nothing. What do you remember about that? I mean, you know, his first two matches he tied and then he just stuns Germany back, you know, back in February of 1999. Where was that? In Jacksonville? Yes. Yeah. I remember that game well. Jovan Sarosky yes. scored a brilliant goal. German yes. coach was fired the very next day. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. But, but a great story. 
Okay. So 1994, the draw for the World Cup is in Las Vegas. The day before, we play an exhibition game with Germany in Stanford. Okay. So we take a charter flight to come down to Vegas. Who's sitting next to me? But France. Hank. Your defense is like butter. Your defense is like butter. And you have to, to, to make the defense better. Your defense is like butter. Yes, and Klingsman is the knife. I understand that. And, and we'll do everything we can to make the defense better. Years go by. We play in Jacksonville. We beat him 3-0. I have his number in Innsbruck. Runs. Your defense is like butter. <laughs> oh. Oh. And thus a friendship. <laughs> and if you didn't, if you guys didn't understand, that was Franz Beckenbauer, just so uh, people knew that. So uh, funny story there. So Hank, 1990, you know, again, back in 1990, August, he, you know, third place Confederation Cup. So, I mean, you're looking like you fired the right guy at this point, right? I never like to think I fired anybody, but it looked like we had a positive change. Okay. We'll go from there. So we're at 2000 and what do you want to comment about 2000 Hank, as far as, you know, you, your career, um, how do you want to, it got to a point, Bones, where, where I would come home at work from work. And it was never, I was never home from work. I was never away from work. Right. And my kids began calling it the secretary general syndrome. You know, like Hank gets in a groove and don't disturb him. All right. so, which was really unfair to my family and unfair to my values. And I found that when I was at U.S. soccer, I was having to, to compromise what I thought were my values more and more and more and more and more. And I started to look at myself and say, you know, I'm not liking the picture I see all the time in the mirror in the morning. And, you know, I'm angry a lot. And uh, for me, it's probably time to go. And more so for the institution, it's time to go. Different management skills are needed now. I brought it, as far as I was concerned, to the best of my ability to where we were. But the financial imperatives now started outweighing other imperatives. And you needed someone to come in who was a good manager, but also a really good finance guy. Dan Flynn is the ideal guy for that. So I saw, even for the institution, growth comes with change. And change is not necessarily bad. But from a personal perspective, I was losing who I was. You know, I, I, I tell my boys, do you have any idea why athletes on retire all the time? You know, Michael Jordan on retires. Shit, Brent Favre, Brett Favre does it 12 times. They do that because they, they form an opinion that they are what they do. And what you do is not who you are. 
who you are should change if you're lucky four or five times in your lifetime. What you do rather should change four or five times in a lifetime. Who you are should never change. And these guys put themselves, I'm a Navy SEAL. And you, you view your self-image as that rather than your self-image as what's your values? What's your character? Uh, what do you care about? Uh, those should never change. And what you do is going to change if you can, hopefully, hopefully four or five times. So it was time. Yeah. It was time. Yeah. I went to Dr. Bob. We had a, they, they gave me a very, very nice going away deal and uh, have been very, very proud of the Federation all the way through. What a, what a very good ending to uh, part three, EV. Okay. All right. Well, that was you uh, eat dinner now. To, if you you are more you are more than welcome to go eat dinner. I you might want to stick around for John Boa's five minute twirl around. I'm going to sit down because, because I was searching the web to come up with some <laughs> shit for John Boa. <laughs> because because that's the listener segment that all twelve of them love. So <laughs> hey, it's up to twenty four according to. Oh, so, okay, so yeah, sorry, we're growing. We're like COVID, so we're up yeah. to twenty four. Hey. 50% so. growth is not a bad growth. Ain't bad. All of a KPI. That's right. What 128 so. plays mean? You know? How, how does that get calculated? Go, Boa. So, okay. All right, Boa, you're on because Hank's got to go eat dinner. So hurry up. I like your segue, Hank, about stepping away for your for your kids. I love that. With Father's Day coming up, we're going to have a special three old goalies Father's Day show. We are. And John, we got I, 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 I want to tell you that I have, as these guys will know, I have a very close relationship with my sons. Yeah. But that decision was more about who I am than what I was doing with my kids. Fantastic. So, you know, in some regards, it was a selfish, selfish decision. Okay, go ahead. Fair enough. Our twirling. All right. Lionel Messi returned to the field yesterday. Nine of ten. Everybody watched the game. Nine of ten. 
we will get to this at the end of the, at the we might do this at the beginning of the call so Hank can go eat dinner. So <laughs> Ronaldo was absolute shit, even though they won, but Messi was just absolutely amazing. So here's the question, guys. We've all seen a lot of guys, you know, the, the Pele's, Puskas, Eusebio, Cruyff, uh, George Best, Maradona. Are we seeing right now, listen carefully, not two of the top 10, but right now are we seeing two of the top five players to ever play in Messi and Ronaldo? That's a tough one. Because remember, Pele did not play in Europe. That was the big knock on Pele. Now, no, but he did never. Remember, Merit, that, remember that Messi's never done anything for Argentina, and and Messi has done nothing for his country. So, but I that's a I think that's a good question. Ronaldo and Messi clearly they're two of the top ten. I think we'd yes, all yes, clearly we can all agree that. But you got You're talking about Beckenbauer, Pele, George Best, Puskas, Eusebio, Johan Cruyff, Maradona. Then you get in the middle of like Zidane, Kenny Dog Leash. Two of the top ten. Tough. Bone. I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna push him in the top five. Not if you saw Ronaldo miss the PK last week. He was horrible, Friday. <laughs> he was horrible. Yeah, but you look at some of his free kicks. They, they are crazy, right? But on Friday, goals, the, the pace of the ball, the power of the ball. I mean, you don't see guys hit a ball like that these days. Evie? Ah, uh, two of the top ten. I don't I don't I don't right. yeah. I mean right. Beckenbauer in his prime is Cruyff. Yeah, Cr yeah, Cruyff cool. was Cruyff is a genius. Cruyff is a he genius was. player. He was. You know they still chant about him at Barcelona. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was unbelievable, you know. Yeah. Who was Brian his mentor? Who was his Rinus, mentor? Renus Michaels. Renus Michaels. Renus Michaels. Renus Michaels. Class. Anyway, Hank, if you need to go eat, we'll leave you I'm going to go eat. All right. Boys, Thank you, you, Hank. Take care of yourselves. Love you, Hank. We'll Take be, care of we'll, yourselves. Love you. We will. We'll we'll, we all, love you, too. We'll be, can do for you. We'll be, we'll be uh, in touch for Hank Chronicles 4. Yeah, you, you really need to uh, think about getting uh, uh, some other guys like, uh, like I mentioned, Ernie and some contemporary guys and yeah, another goalkeeper. Yeah, well, we're, going, we're going to. We're going to do that, but, you know. <clears throat> are you going to get the other goalkeeper, Bill Nuttall? Yes, we are. Who, by the way, was the manager under Bora? Yeah. yeah. Had that responsibility? Yeah. Jürgen, Jürgen Summer speaks very highly of, of uh, Bill Nuttall. When we had him on the show, he probably got in so. trouble. No, I, well, maybe I don't know, but I mean, he, <laughs> he liked the way Bill handled the team. So, yeah. So, okay, guys, take care. All right, buddy, love you. Love you. Love you. All right, see ya. See ya. All right, boy, keep going, dude. Little Messi was class. He got a goal at the end of the game, but they gave poor Mallorca just the proper seeing to four to one. Real Madrid won today to keep pace. Nothing changed at the bottom there. Some interesting things in Italy. Juventus won uh, the one, the second leg of one semifinal. Napoli won the other. Um, and these are everybody's playing without fans, right? No fans. 
No fans. Okay. And I was watching Mines, and um, I don't know if they're all doing this, but I was watching Mines in Augsburg this morning, and they were they were syncing the crowd noise with how what was going on in the field. Yeah. That was pretty cool. It was. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for you'll never walk alone. I don't know how it's going to work, but. Um, <laughs> But uh, Juve, like, nobody cares over here, and they're nuts. But, you know, Juventus, the old lady, one of the coolest nicknames ever, could win the double because they're now in the Italian Cup final. They're leading the league, and they are in the final eight of the Champions League. So they can win the treble. Wow. That's wow. the hard – and that's the hard one. That's the Manchester United one. That's yeah. really, really difficult. So uh, they're still in it. Um, and then nothing else is going on the bottom there. And the three old goalies' favorite, Werner Bremen, gave this team called Paderborn United the best yes. power of a lifetime yesterday. Five to one. Whew. So that goal difference might come in handy when they're fighting for that 16th spot. And, so, and Werner, Werner Bremen is the team that's fighting for that survival right now, aren't they? Yeah, we, and they're they going to they carry. We're going to ride them all the way to fifteenth place, fellas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting thing happened in Scotland in football for once. Well, hold on, hey JB, hold on. Let's go back yeah. to the Bundesliga. Were you surprised about Bayern Munich yesterday? I didn't. I didn't watch it. I thought it was better, cooler that to to, to, to uh, focus on the relegation. What did I tell you? What I tell you? What they had a good. It was a good game. It was a good what game. Happened? Uh, who, who, who are they playing? Bone, they were, oh, they were tied one to one yeah. f for, I mean, till the 88th minute or something. Yeah, Mushin Goblak. Yeah, Mushin Goblak. And it was, it was a good game. It was a good match. Nice. I watch it on my Evie, Evie, were you surprised that the game was that tight and uh, the subs that, that came on? You know, JB, you've mentioned Davies before. This guy was on fire. I thought yes. he'd be, I mean, on fire yesterday. He, can fly. he, you know what? And, and it's not just that. It's, you know, he can play. He can play at that. He can play at that level. You know, like when yeah. he, when they need him to defend, he can defend. And when they need him to get forward, he can get forward. You know, and he got the assist on the he got the assist on the winning goal. You know, the guy dummied it, but but I mean, it was assist on the winning goal. So there's still seven points, right? Yes. Or five. It's over. They got three games left. Next week they win. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. So we will have a complete comprehensive. We got, we got a lot of editing to do for our friend Hank Steinbrusher. We, I want to release three in a row. So. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I did watch my first German game, Bone, on your behest, on your prodding today. And it wasn't horrible. You know, it's a lot quicker than I thought. Um, so. It was funny because Mons, that's where uh, Jurgen Klopp came from. He played there and coached there. Right. And they lost. They took it in the brown to Augsburg, one nothing, in front of a, a boisterous crowd of zero. <laughs> <laughs> so in Scotland, they're going to start uh, – they started training actually the other day, but they're going to start playing maybe the 1st of August. But this is what's, what was interesting. As you know, in Scotland, there's only 12 teams in the Premier League. So what they do is halfway through the season, the top six kind of play each other more and the bottom six play each other more. It's pretty brutal, especially the weather in the wintertime there. 
but they had the vote up to make the Premier League 14, the second division 14, and the third division 16. So in other words, to bring more teams up, they thought they were going to get more, you know, because they're going to lose some clubs in Scotland big time. Some of these guys aren't going to make it back. Right. Absolutely. Right. So, um, you know, when Kelty Hearts or, you know, Bridge, uh, those replica sales will really put you in the black. <laughs> as a, as a but, uh, it, uh, it got voted down by Celtic and Rangers, of course. So, uh, which, you know, do you guys speak Spanish? You know what Celtic and Rangers means in Spain? Barcelona and Real Madrid. Yeah. You know, I like yeah. that this week. Yeah. That was cute. I like that. Yeah, was that was good. That was good. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, but that's about it. But interesting. I mean, everything in there is run just like it is over here. Like Dallas Cowboys haven't won anything. Jerry Jones still calls the shots. Not any different in Europe. So uh, the MLS are going to play their little mini World Cup. And the games are going to kick off, and this is true, as John Bush told us last week, 9 a.m., 8 p.m., and 10.30 p.m. So if you know anything about, like, the, you know, the Rosetta Stone and, like, numbers and how they relate to words, I think that means in English, union? What union? Exactly. <laughs> 9 a.m. games. I love it, though. Don't, don't you guys? Don't you love it? So Alex Ferguson, that means Alex Ferguson would have his pregame meal at what, 4.30 in the morning? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so if, you, if you're going to, if you're playing in the 9 a.m. game, right, uh-huh. is that sponsored by Dodge Caravan and you have to go in Dodge Caravans and eat orange slices at halftime and, and, and Mrs. Mrs. Bettman's bringing the, uh, she's bringing the juice Mrs. boxes Barbara. for the end of the match? Yeah. Mrs. Garber bringing the juice boxes for the end? You gotta, have I mean, you gotta be kidding me. There's gonna be a tent with like Metro stars on it, and the moms are gonna be, <laughs> for, you know, and the coaches are gonna be out there, their little three quarter inch. That's right. Own and Soccer Village are gonna take over the spirit wear. Yes. The MLS. <laughs> It'll be yeah, great. Yeah, but those 16 straight days, though, right? I mean, that's pretty exciting. But 9 a.m. Now, you know, the pros train, it depends, but usually around 10 or 11 in the morning, right? Right. So they take their kids to school, and they go in, and they get their treatment, and they get on the field. They really only train for about 70 or 80 minutes, really, and then they're working on their functional stuff, which we won't go into functional training on this show at some point because we don't fucking do it in this country. Anyway, but, you know, so 9 a.m., though, so – that throws off your training for the whole week. So you play at 9 a.m. Saturday. Does that mean you play at 10.30 p.m. on Tuesday? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Because are they playing two days Are they playing two days a week, basically? Yeah, I think so. Because it's a, it's a World Cup setup, right? Yeah. Right. So, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. 16 days, this thing just goes on in a row. But it's not everyone, right? No, it's not. Yeah, it's, there's two divisions of uh, – there's one division of six. It's eight, eight. Eastern, Eastern, yeah. Eastern, Eastern, Eastern with Orlando City. Yeah. So, okay. I don't so know how really they – the, It's really the ML startup. Correct. Okay, not the MLS startup. Okay. Correct. So, we'll keep an eye on that for you. But much like last year, there won't be anybody watching there either. You would – I mean – 
Yeah. How are you? Well, Disney World's going to be opening, and they're going to be playing down there, but they're not let people in the stands. I should call our buddy down there and see what's going on. Yeah. One point one million dollars to the winning team. All right. Well, and and a place in Concaf, as we talked about last week. Oh, they do give the Champions League if they win that yeah. one. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Now, one business thing they did approve this week. Now, I'm not a fan of this, and I know EB is. I'd be interested in your thoughts, Greg. They're allowing MLS teams to sell the other pant leg for advertising. Why are you against it? I, um, I hate the NASCAR thing they do down in Central and South America. I'm not a fan of what they do in Germany with the name of the, on the back. I like, you know, I think goalkeepers should wear green shirts and, you know. Well, it's, it's, Evie, what are your thoughts? It's, it's coming. It's coming. What it do you has to come, right? Huh? It has to come, right? It, yeah, it's because coming. It's coming. The NBA, is, the NBA is flirting with putting, putting something small on the front of the jerseys. You know, the NHL has, has, Fought it and fought it and fought it, but that you talk to any guy in the NHL business offices, it's coming. You know. Well, the NBA's already doing it. You know what you but, just said. They're already doing that. Yeah, so, and, and the I, NHL, but but in the NFL, they do it for practice. If you watch, practice. if you watch, you know, when they're training, you know, Patriots have big Gillette thing on their on their shirts for practice. You know, they haven't done it. it for games yet, but. And you know, we've already got the sleeve in England. So it's what, you know, big one on the front sleeve. Yep. Yeah. But Jake, don't don't you this is how this is how the Mexican leagues have survived. You know, as much as we want to make fun of the NASCAR look on them, you know, that is Oh yeah. You know, right? I mean that's how they you know, five hundred there or whatever, you know, you do eight eight cup eight sponsors, it looks like NASCAR, but they survive. Hey JB, what's going on with the Mexican leagues? You gave us the update with MLS. What, what's uh, are they going to be playing soon? They are. We're still in uh, probate with them. We're not allowed to say anything about Mexican football after my coronavirus crap. <laughs> well, you know what they do in Mexico, Greg? They, they there's like minor league baseball. They have a first uh, half of the season, a break, and a second half. Yeah. And they have a first champion in a second. Um, we're going to have a special correspondent on Mexico next show. Sweet. But I was going to back to your thing about the NASCAR uniforms. Our friend Cisco's cousin was the captain of the Guatemala national team, and he gave him his uh, club team uniform. And there were twenty three or twenty three or twenty four sponsors on the shirt, the shorts, and the socks. Wow! Wow! Yeah. So you know, I get it. I'm a marketing guy. I get it. Right. Heads up. So. So anyway, to learn more about the MLS, you can visit any website in the world other than MLSnet.com. <laughs> yeah, those guys really struggle with their website. I don't know what's going on. It, it is, you know, I, I know that John Harks lifted the first MLS Cup trophy. I learn that every time I visit there. <laughs> I'm really proud, however, conversely, as they say, of the USL. They're very clean, they're very straightforward. They're going to start playing between the 11th and the 18th, I think, unless they have some special mayor issue in their right. own team. So right. I really, they're very direct. You know, they, they, they've done it now like they do in England, Premier League, first division, or cha- Premier League Championship, first division, 
So they're using you know, the colloquialisms that people know globally. Um, and again, everybody's agreed on this show, that is the most important league. So at some point, I hope that we get players going up and down more. I hope more college kids start playing there or going directly out of high school like baseball. I don't know. So, um, but I did want to, uh, you know, that was a great thing Hank said about his job second to himself and his kids. But um, you guys seriously think that Messi and Ronaldo are not in the top five? I think, I said, I think they are. I think they are. I don't know, dude. No, Messi for Argentina, but Ronaldo has won the European Cup. And I, 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 I love Cruyff. I really do. I just, you know. Well, it's tough to take you know, Johan Cruyff Pele off. You can't no, take I, Pele off. Pele's in there. Right. You, you really can't take Cruyff off. Can't take Cruyff. And then you got your Maradonas and your Franz Beckenbauers. Yeah. Beckenbauer yeah. changed the game, dude. Yeah. And Maradona, I mean, you, you're, yeah, you're, Wow. George Best. Yeah. If, he, if George Best, not if, put, take the beer aside. If George Best would have played <laughs> anywhere except the six counties of the northern tip of Ireland, think about it. it yeah. He would have won. He would have been in the quarterfinal of a World Cup. He would have been a, you know. Yes. But he wasn't. Northern fucking Ireland. Yes, that's true. It's true. I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, we got a short twirl around the world this week. But that was it. Back to you in Nashville. All right. Well, it's, uh, uh, it looks like we have wasted another two hours of your time, listeners. But uh, we appreciate you tuning in and listening to us. Um, please make sure that you find our podcast anywhere podcasts are sold. We're on there. So... All right, boys. Well, we're done for another session, and thank you very much for your time. Uh, until uh, we talk to Coach Church sometime this week, and I'll get together with everybody and let them know what that is. But uh, uh, thank you for all your input. Thank you for Bone. Thank you for doing the interview. Bose, thank you for the twirl around the European leagues. And until next time, good night, Captain, and thank you. <laughs>